Today we finish our four-part series on how we got the Bible. And if you've missed parts one, two, or three, feel free to go back in our Facebook page or on our YouTube page and find those because each message kind of builds one upon another. But I want to start off this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there or you can listen. Or if you have it memorized, just think back through. It's a good verse to have memorized. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 2, kind of run up, uh, lead up to verse 4. The apostle there writes, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Here, Peter reminds us we've been given so much by Jesus. And one of the things that we've been given to help us in this corrupt world is, well, and are promises. Not just regular promises, but he says exceedingly great and precious promises. Where do we find these promises? We find them in the Bible. We find them in God's word. And when we latch onto them and claim them and experience them, it helps us to become partakers of the divine nature, the nature of God. And one day we will escape totally the corruption of this world. But if we didn't have the Bible, we wouldn't have these promises. We wouldn't have an accurate record of these promises. And so the study of how we got the Bible is a very important study. Because if there are some books we should be including that we aren't, or some books that we have included that we shouldn't, we need to get that sorted out so that we're not latching on to false promises written by people not inspired by God. So today we close our sermon series, How We Got the Bible, and this is Banned Books Part 2, where we look at the New Testament and why were there certain books that we hear about that were not included. So remember, we talked last time about the Old Testament, and, and two essential criteria for what got into the Old Testament was, number one, it had to be written by an authoritative source. And number two, it couldn't contradict what was previously revealed by God. And while there were other factors and, and things more complicated, for my simple mind, I'm going to limit it just to those two things today. And the same is true for the New Testament. Authoritative source, which was an apostle or a close associate of an apostle, which only appears to have happened in two cases, and it had to agree with the revelation that was previously given. Big picture, uh, 
Early on, there were some core books in the New Testament that were really widely recognized and never disputed from the very beginning. Um, there were some other books that we'll talk about that were debated for a while and then eventually said, yeah, absolutely, these should be included. And then there were a collection of books that were never considered scripture and some that were always considered heretical by the vast majority of the church. But the books that contained this early core of the New Testament were the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those were accepted. They just weren't questioned like some other books had been. The book of Acts, Paul's 10 letters, um, 1 John, 1 Peter. Those were early, widely read, widely accepted. Uh, and from this core, the rest of the New Testament was eventually recognized. Remember, we're not saying decided upon because it wasn't man that decided this one's in, that one's out. It was the church collectively recognizing the divine nature and authority that had been given these books by the nature of their inspiration. So that's why um, James Dunn, and we'll show a quote here on the screen, the famous New Testament scholar could write this about the early process of the canon of the New Testament. He said this, the de facto canon of Jesus and Paul, gospel and epistle, was already functioning with effect within the first, how many years? 30 years of Christianity's existence. This is really quite amazing. Within the first 30 years, there was already a de facto, there was already an initial gathering of books this early canon, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the core writings of Paul. Um, there were some writings of Paul that were debated for a while, like First and Second Timothy, eventually recognized to be authentic and genuine. Uh, and some are troubled by the fact that there was some debate. I, I say that the fact that there were some books that took a while to be recognized is actually a good thing because it means that the early Christian church was serious about rooting out anything that wasn't authoritative and conforming to the pure gospel that had been revealed. And you have to recall what was going on in the early Christian church in the early centuries. Persecution, difficulty. Uh, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have the ability to just compare side by side all of these copies and call everybody up, have a conference call and say, hey, now you heard Paul uh, speaking in your church at this time. Now, what did he say uh, when he does? Let me read you something here real quick. Does this sound like what you heard? They couldn't do that because they didn't have the technology that we have today. So it took time for these processes to be worked out. So today, what I'm going to be doing is sharing some external witnesses that, that point to the, the process of looking at the the New Testament writings, and will be very affirmed in our faith, I believe, by what these early Christian authors had to say about uh, the New Testament. So I want to start with a guy named Clement of Rome. He, around 95 AD, so about 30 years after Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Clement also wrote a church, a, a letter to the church of Corinth. And I'm going to put it here on the screen for you. It's a book called First Clement. Look at what it says there. 
It says, the apostles have preached the gospel to us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has done so from God. Christ, therefore, was sent forth from God and the apostles by Christ. Again, early on, he recognized the apostles have authority given to them from Jesus. In the same writing, First uh, Clement, chapter 47, we find this interesting quotation. Let's take a look at it. He says, take up the epistle of the blessed apostle who? Paul. What did he write to you at the time when the gospel first began to be preached? Truly, under the inspiration of whom? The Spirit, he wrote to you concerning himself and Cephas and Apollos, because even then parties had been formed among you. This guy, 35 years, 30 years after Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he is saying, yeah, Apostle Paul, good guy, filled with the Holy Spirit. He wrote to you with the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we also see that he, there in Rome, had a copy, at least one copy of Paul's letter. Uh, it has been said that perhaps Clement had maybe two copies of all the books that he wrote about, access to them at least. It's not like everybody had a scroll in their house. That's just not how it worked. There maybe were two copies of Paul's letter to the Corinthians in all of Rome at that time. Not only that, there were some, some very challenging things that the church in Rome experienced. And Clement writes about them in the intro to one of his books. We'll, we'll take a look at it here. He says, um, apparently, sorry, I didn't put this one on our slides. Let me just read it to you. This is what he wrote. He said, they experienced sudden and successive calamitous events. So he's starting out his letter and he's saying, brothers, you know, we experienced some sudden and successive calamitous events. So life was kind of chaotic. And so it shouldn't surprise us that it took time for people to develop consensus on which books were a part of the New Testament. But just from the writings of Clement, we see that he knew about Matthew and Luke and Romans and 1 Corinthians and Titus and Hebrews. Possibly also he quoted from Acts and Ephesians and 1 Timothy and James, 2 Peter, arguably 1 Peter and Revelation as well. Um, and you might wonder why there's some question about whether he quoted or not. It's because if there were only a couple of copies and he couldn't just have one in his house, uh, he would often quote from memory. And so when at least when I quote from memory, and this happened in Sabbath school, I wasn't getting it uh, exactly as my Bible in this translation says. And so some of them are more loose paraphrases, and so uh, we have to try and figure out, okay, is this, was he quoting here, or is he, does he know just the oral tradition of the sayings of Jesus or the sayings of Paul, and he's quoting what he's heard passed down to him that way? Or sometimes a New Testament author will quote the Old Testament, and so there's question about, well, are they quoting the Old Testament or are they quoting the New Testament author quoting the Old Testament? So sometimes there are some questions, but we see early on, he knew of a lot of the New Testament books. He had access to them. He quoted them as scripture. Then there was a book called the Didache. It came out around 100 AD. It's a collection of the teachings of the apostles. And there, Matthew is quoted as scripture. 100 AD, not long after Matthew was written, they're quoting it as scripture. 
Then there was a guy named Ignatius. He was the bishop of Antioch early in the second century. And when I say second century, think about the 100s AD. So he lived in the early 100s. Uh, he died, like, I think before 120. So this is really early here in the, in the 100s. He called the Gospels Scripture. Called them Scripture. Um, and in his writings, we see allusions to Matthew, to Luke, to John, to Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Second Timothy, etc. Uh, and then, here's the quote I'm going to put on the screen now. Writing from Smyrna to Ephesus, to the same church that Paul wrote to, he said, Ye, or you, are initiated into the mysteries of the gospel with Paul, the holy, the martyred, who in all his epistles make mention of you in Christ Jesus. So, what does this tell us? Well, he recognized Paul as a good dude, <laughs> called him the holy, but he also was reminding them, he was calling them back to the standard, appealing to Paul's epistle as an authoritative source. And it also tells us that he had access to multiple epistles of Paul. Later on in 110 AD, there was a guy named Polycarp, which I'm not sure, but I think it means something like many fish. <laughs> or maybe I just made that up. Um, you can look it up on your own. <laughs> I don't remember if I made that up as a joke or if I read it somewhere. So look it up yourself. Bishop of Smyrna. He's the Bishop of Smyrna. And he was actually a disciple of John. So he hung out with John, who was called John the Beloved. John, who saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. John, who, who Jesus said from the cross, this is your mom now. Take in Mary as, as your mom. This is now your son to, to his mom. This is Polycarp, disciple of John. And listen what he says about Paul. If you have questions about Paul, well, the disciple of John thought very, very highly of Paul. We'll check it out here. For neither I nor any other such one can come up with the wisdom of the blessed and glorified Paul. He went among you accurately and steadfastly taught the word of truth in the presence of those who were then alive. And when absent from you, he wrote you a letter, which if you carefully study, you will find to be the means of building you up in the faith which has been given to you. That's his letter to the Philippians. Polycarp. Disciple of John, the beloved, disciple of Jesus, recognized Paul's writings as authoritative, called Paul blessed. He said he accurately passed along what had been given to him. And it's interesting because he referred to, um, in his writings, he quoted Ephesians as sacred scripture. So elsewhere, he quotes Ephesians as sacred scripture. And if he believed that Paul's letter to Ephesus was sacred scripture, do you suppose it's logical to conclude he might have viewed the other writings by Paul as sacred scripture? Seems natural to conclude that. You probably wouldn't say, uh, this is sacred scripture, and what else he wrote was total heresy and going to lead you to damnation. You wouldn't do that. So Polycarp recognized the writings of Paul as a blessing and as inspired as scripture. 
125 AD, moving along in history, there's a guy named Papias. He was the bishop of a place called Heropolis. Um, now, he wasn't a disciple of John, but he'd heard John speak on one occasion. And the early Christian historian Eusebius wrote about, uh, he quoted Papias, and we'll see it here on the screen. Quoting Papias, Eusebius writes, Mark, being the interpreter of Peter, whatsoever he remembered, he wrote accurately. He was with Peter. So Mark gave special attention to one thing of not passing by anything he heard and not falsifying anything in these matters. Mark was not an apostle, but according to Eusebius and others, he was a disciple of Peter. He was a close associate of Peter, and he accurately carried on the teaching and the, the, the tradition that he had received from Peter, the disciple of Jesus. Later on in 150, mid-2nd century, there's a guy named Justin Martyr, and his last name was not Martyr. Uh, he was martyred, and so for some reason, we call him Justin Martyr. It's like this week, uh, somebody was asking for a phone number. I didn't know the guy's last name when I plugged it in, and so I just wrote Jesse Mechanic. And a church member wrote back, they said, really, is his last name Mechanic? Because he was, as you could guess, a mechanic. Um, great guy if you need a mechanic. And he's not paying me for that. I just appreciate his work. So we call him Justin Martyr. Um, and he was an early Christian apologist, which means he was defending Christianity early on. And so he wrote um, something called the First Apology, which is not his first time saying, I'm sorry. It was his first book saying, this is why you should believe in Christianity. Now, notice how he equates, we're going to put the quote on the screen here, he equates the writings of the, the um, apostles on the same level as the writings of the prophets of the Old Testament. He said, all who live in the cities, describing a, uh, a typical worship service in his day, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles, he called them the memoirs. He was writing to non-Christian believers, and he felt like that was apparently a um, a more useful word for them to, to hear. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. And as long as time permits, then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of those good things. So a typical church service in Justin Martyr's day was to get together and read the scriptures, whether it was from the apostles or whether it was from the Old Testament prophets. And then when time was up, the president, whoever was the leader, would get up and say, follow these things, live according to these things. Uh, by the way, Justin Martyr quoted most of Paul's epistles. He also referred to Revelation as being written by John the Apostle. Some had question about Revelation, but Justin Martyr didn't see any reason why Revelation shouldn't be included. In 170 AD, there was a guy named Tatian, and he made a harmony of the Gospels, uh, which is trying to fit the four stories together in one book. I have a harmony of the Gospels in my office, and it's kind of interesting to, to read and see how it all could fit together. But guess which Gospels he used? I'll give you a hint. He didn't use the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel. He used Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
So as early as 170, and even 70 years before that and more, 80 years before that, they recognized the only Gospels that are true Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Later on, uh, a guy named Theophilus of Antioch, he died in 181 AD, and he wrote this in a letter called To Autocles, or Autolycus, I'm sorry. Let's check it out here. He said this, Moreover, concerning the righteousness which the law enjoined, confirmatory utterances are found both with the prophets and in the what? The Gospels because they all spoke inspired by one Spirit of God. It's a pretty awesome statement. Theophilus of Antioch said, the prophets and the Gospels, they spoke inspired by the Spirit of God. Um, while we don't need to have these external witnesses, it sure is faith-affirming when you see them. Very faith-affirming. Uh, later, in 180 AD, a guy named Irenaeus, uh, he was a church leader in Smyrna and died as a martyr for Jesus. Loved the Lord, died as a martyr, but we didn't give him the last name martyr for some reason. And in a book called Against Heresies, which he was writing because there were heretical things, uh, there was a guy named Marcion who was anti-Semitic. He, he was prejudiced against the Jews, and so... Marcion rejected anything that was too Jewish in nature. So like, for example, he didn't like the book Hebrews because it has a lot of he Hebraisms, um, things that come from the Jewish Old Testament and Hebrew culture. And so he rejected it. But Irenaeus was writing against it, um, Marcion and others who were heretics. And he says, and he argues, there are four Gospels and only four. And which Gospels do you think that he said were the correct ones? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Later on, uh, we get to the Muratorian fragment, named after the guy that found it. It was actually found in a monastery in 1740. This guy apparently was going through the library there and found this fragment that had not, up to that point, been translated into English or whatever, and he thought, well, this looks really old and could be really important. And it turns out it was. It was not a complete document. It was just a fragment. But it was written towards the end of the second century. And it was the first list of what was considered by that author to be the canonical books of the New Testament, which were the books considered by this author. And we don't know who the author was. Um, and guess what it had? Well, it had the four Gospels as we know them. It had the book of Acts, many of Paul's letters. It also had the book of Revelation. Um, again, giving evidence to this canonical core, as we call it, these core books that were just not disputed in the early days. But what's interesting about the Muratorian fragment, well, one of the many interesting things is there was a book that was circulating called The Shepherd of Hermas. Uh, in fact, you can find at least one person who thought it was inspired, uh, but it, it was not accepted uh, across the church. But listen to what, and we'll see it on the screen here, listen to what uh, the author of the Moratorium Fragment said about this, in, uh, the shepherd of Hermas. He said this, but Hermas wrote the shepherd very recently, in our times. 
So he's talking about end of the second century, probably, in the city of Rome. While Bishop Pius, his brother, was occupying the Episcopal chair of the church of the city of Rome. And therefore, it ought indeed to be read, but it can't be read publicly to the church or uh, publicly to the people in the church, either among the prophets, whose number is complete, or among the apostles, for it is after their time. Now, this is a very important statement. He says, Shepherd of Hermas, sure, interesting, good stuff. Read it, but don't read it aloud in the church. The Old Testament, that's complete. Uh, the apostles, they're dead. It's after their time. Uh, so while it may be important, it's not a part of the canon of Scripture. And we'll see. There are books that are ancient and interesting to read, and you can find translations of them on the Internet. Uh, I had some fun times going through um, rereading or reading some of these ancient sources, um, and, and a lot of them are just, like I say, free on the Internet. You can just Google them. Fun to read can be useful to read, but as the fragment says, they were written too late. Um, written too late. Just like we talked about with the Old Testament, there were books written after the time of Ezra. And people outside of the Bible said, no, there wasn't a consistent stream of prophets after that time. Books written after that, too late. Sorry, it might be interesting, but it's not inspired in the same way that these other books were. Later on, we get to 200 AD, a guy named Clement of Alexandria, and he quotes 22 out of the 27 books that we have in our New Testament. Uh, and so we see the, the, the groupings of books are getting more and more established. And it was not so much, as has been described, adding book after book, but a matter of rejecting the books that were false. The early Christian church was very adamant. They, they didn't want books that were false as a part of their scriptures, or even books that were valued, as we saw in the moratorium fragment, to be read publicly, because they didn't want to confuse the matter, apparently. Later on, we get to a guy named Origen in 235, and he said this, not on the screen, he said, all four Gospels alone are unquestionable in the church of God under heaven. No other Gospels did Origen see as being authentic. Interesting, while there is some question about who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Origen has been quoted as saying, well, God only knows. And so many people just throw their hands up and say, well, it's impossible for us to know. But if you look at what Origen did when quoting Hebrews, he would say things like, as the Apostle Paul said, as the Apostle Paul, he quoted Hebrews as though it was coming from Paul, but he didn't know who actually penned it down. Like, for example, who wrote the book of Romans? Well, we'd all say, well, it was Paul. Well, if you look in Romans 16, somebody else wrote it down. But it came from Paul. Um, and so some have thought that the book of Hebrews was perhaps even like a sermon that Paul would do as he would preach and go around to different churches, and then somebody else took the time to write it down. Um, so there's a difference between um, the source versus the author or the penman, or the person whose linguistics are, are used there. But Origen, he believed that at least the, the contents of Hebrews were from Paul. 
Uh, he also believed in 2nd and 3rd John, while some had been questioning those books, but he recognized that the church as a whole wasn't settled on that topic at that time. Revelation was accepted um, from John, and he also accepted the book of Jude. Now, later on, in 325, we get this guy Eusebius that I mentioned earlier, first Christian historian that gives us a lot of interesting information, and he made a list. He gave us 22 books in the New Testament that are just Boom, these are fully accepted by his time. He said there are five that are disputed, but notice what he says. He said these are disputed books which are nevertheless known to most. So, yeah, there's still some debate and argument, but most everybody recognizes these books. Which books were those? Well, these were the books of James, Jude, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John. And we could maybe do a whole sermon on why some of these books were disputed, for that time period. But think about it just from, from one standpoint. Those books are shorter books. Second and third John, really small. So one of the things that helped people understand that things were authoritative was seeing them quoted in the earlier church fathers that lived closest to the time of the writing of these books. Well, if you've got a book that's just not even more than one chapter, it's going to get quoted statistically less than books that are much longer. Uh, and so just from that aspect alone, it's understandable why some of these books appear less in the writings of the church fathers. Others were, like for example Hebrews, there was some debate because it doesn't say written by Paul or written by whoever. And again, as we've seen, um, apostolic origin is very important. It's important for it to come from an apostle. And if, you're, if you have some questions on who wrote it, then you're going to hold off from accepting it into the canon uh, until the matter can be settled. Later on, a guy named Cyril of Jerusalem, he accepted 26 of the 27. The only book he'd, he didn't mention was Revelation, and he didn't say good or bad about it. He just didn't talk about it. Later on, there were councils. Uh, but as we've seen, there's already a pretty good consensus for most of the New Testament, even before these councils are meeting. Uh, and these weren't church-wide councils, they were more regional. Uh, there was the Synod in Laodicea, 26 books. Uh, Revelation just wasn't mentioned. Uh, later on, a guy named Athanasius. He was a leader of the Greek church. And in 367, he wrote out a letter. And he included all 27 books in the New Testament. And he said this. He said, let no one add to these. Let nothing be taken away. For him, it was settled in his mind. These are uh, the ones. 390, Gregory of Nan, uh, excuse me, Nazianzus listed all 27 books. The African canons, one in 393, one later on in 419. They listed all 27 books that we have today. Jerome, the great scholar who translated uh, the Old Testament into Latin, he said, all 27 books, these are the ones that are recognized. 395, Augustine, you've heard about him. Well, he recognized all 27. 397, the Carthage Synod recognized all 27. So you're kind of getting the idea here. Um, and again, these councils weren't saying, um, they weren't picking and selecting the ones that they were going to give authority to. They were recognizing the ones that had that authority. But as early as 30 years after the founding of the church, there was already the core 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the core writings of the Apostle Paul. So we've kind of given a, a brief overview of a lot of histories. Thanks for hanging with me on that. But now we get to the question, well, why were certain books rejected? There were certain that just books that were not included. Why were they rejected? And pretty much from what you've heard, you can already guess. It's because they were determined not to come from an apostle, or they had heresy in them, just like crazy stuff, um, etc. cetera. Um, and I read to you last time, one of the books that was determined to be a forgery, the Acts of Paul, kind of fan fiction based off of Paul's writings, uh, they discovered that there was a third Corinthians. And when the church realized that it was written by one of their members and not by the Apostle Paul, they excommunicated him because they were just serious about rooting out heresy wherever they might find it. While there were books that were useful, the Didache, Shepherd of Hermas, First Clement, Letter of Polycarp to Philippi, Letters of Barnabas, Ignatius's letters. The church didn't, as a whole, ever view them as scripture. And then there were other books that were just totally rejected and, and, and stamped as heretical. Things like the Gospel of Mary, Gospel of Egyptians, the Gospel of Philip, the Acts of Paul, the Gospel of Peter, Gospel according to the Hebrews, etc., etc. But before we wrap it up, I want to just read a couple lines to you. And this will be fun. If you're falling asleep, this will help wake you up. Because... Uh, you'll see it just becomes obvious to you why some of these weren't included. I mean, if you've read the New Testament and you get this flavor and this feel and the rhythm, then you read some of these and you say, well, that's obviously different. Obviously different. Okay? So the Gospel of Thomas, which was written 150 AD or later, it was not written by Thomas. Thomas was dead written by somebody else in the name of Thomas. And guess how many copies of this book, ancient copies, exist? There's one. Of the New Testament books that were valued, we have copy after copy after copy after copy after copy, ancient copies. We only have one ancient copy of the Gospel of Thomas. And this is one of the books that the, these secular scholars on these documentaries will say, the Bible has been found, new information, who was Jesus really? And they're quoting this book sometimes. It has 114 sayings, and it has this Gnostic feel. Gnosticism was this secret knowledge that, that they were getting, um, emphasizing that the body is bad and the spirit is good. They, they divided the, the body into these different parts, which we know biblically from previous revelation is not is not accurate how it all works. We are a unified whole. So here are some sayings, and I'm going to read them from my paper. It says this, Blessed is the lion that a person will eat, and the lion will become human. And anathema, cursed, is the person whom a lion will eat, and the lion will become a human. Amen. That's what I want in my Bible. I mean, there are some weird things in the Bible, but this, this is a different kind of weird, if you know what I'm saying. Here's another one. Okay, this is from saying 114, the very last saying in the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to them, let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Don't say amen. Okay. Uh, now, Jesus responds, 
Peter says, hey, women, not worthy of life. Jesus responds, look, I will draw her in so as to make her male, so that she too may become a living male spirit similar to you. But I say to you, every woman who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I get an amen? (laughs) They said no. (laughs) Now, it's not all crazy like this. A lot of the Gospel of Thomas sounds similar to sayings that we know from Jesus. But when you read stuff like that, you automatically, because you're familiar with the flow of Scripture, the books that were not disputed, the canonical core, you read that and you say, well, that's obviously very, very different. And that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know from the undisputed Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, etc., Then there's something called the infancy gospel of Thomas. This is about Jesus as a little baby, as a a young man. Here's here's an interesting one. After that, he again was passing through a village, and a boy ran up to him. This is running up to the young Jesus. And he struck his shoulder. Jesus was angry and said to him, Thou shalt not go back the way thou camest. And immediately he fell down dead. And some who saw him, what had taken place, they said, Where was this child begotten, speaking of Jesus, that every word of his is certainly accomplished? And and the parents of the dead boy went away to Joseph and blamed him, saying, Since you have such a child, it's impossible for you to live with us in the village, or else teach him to bless and not to curse, for he is killing our children. Does that sound like the Jesus that we have come to know from the undisputed Matthew, Mark, Luke? John. They're saying, get out of town, Joseph, because your son is killing all our kids. Killing our children. Later on, and I won't read the whole part, but from chapter 14, Jesus is being taught by a... uh, He's being taught how to write and how to read and the alphabet and so forth. Jesus said to him, if you really are a teacher and well acquainted with the letters, tell me the power of Alpha and I'll tell you the power of beta. Mm, Deep, huh? And the teacher was enraged at this and struck him on the head. And the child, being in pain, cursed him. And immediately he swooned away, fell on the ground on his face, the teacher. And the child returned to Joseph's house. Joseph was grieved, and he gave orders to his mother, saying, Do not let him go outside the door, because those that make him angry die. Now again, these books are not all like that. Uh, To be fair, I've picked the most odd, wackadoodle sayings I could to illustrate a point. But but again, you kind of get this flavor that's just not, even outside of Jesus, killing people like that. Because we know that God does bring judgment on people. Ananias and Sapphira both died. But just even the very feel of it is not the same feel that we get from reading the core, undisputed books of the Bible. One more um, little interesting tidbit for you from the Gospel of Mary. This is one who, you should read this at like a poetry slam one night where people are like snapping and all that. Here's Here's how it sounds. The Savior said, all nature, all formations, all creatures exist in and with one another. 
and they shall be resolved again into their own roots. For the nature of matter is resolved into the roots of its own nature alone. He who has ears, let him hear. What? Here's another one. Matter gave birth to a passion that has no equal, which proceeding from something contrary to nature, then there arises a disturbance in its whole body. That is why I said to you, be of good courage. And if you are discouraged by the encouraged, if you are discouraged, be encouraged in the presence of the different forms of nature. He who has ears, let him hear. I thought about doing a whole sermon reading stuff like this, but I opted to just give you that little sample. Yeah. So what have we seen today? There are amazing historical reasons outside of the internal reasons we've already looked at to accept the New Testament as it has been recognized. And there are good reasons for rejecting these other so-called gospels, these other so-called epistles. And when you look at them, many times it's, it's obvious to tell. There's stuff that doesn't agree with what was written before. There's a, there's a feel of them that doesn't seem right. Uh, they have this flavor, this Gnostic flavor, um, that just is not the same that we get from the pure writings of the inspired apostles and from the prophets of the Old Testament. So, having said that, I encourage you to keep on doing your own study. Don't just take my word for it that the Old Testament can be trusted uh, for the books that we have received and the New Testament. Do your own study. Uh, but, but when you come to a recognition, it's important to do something. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was rock climbing at the local area in Sonora. And who should I see coming up the trail but a famous rock climber. Uh, it was featured nationally in some climbing movies and, and so forth. Uh, he was one of the guys on the Don Wall. Uh, and I see him, but I didn't want to bug him. And there's also COVID, and so I didn't want to get too close. And, and I was also a little shy, so I didn't say anything to him. Um, but sometimes you kind of wish, like, I would have been kind of nice to say a few words. And, because merely recognizing someone or something uh, is one thing, but then taking it to the next step, uh, getting the benefit from the experience or from what has been revealed is even better. And sometimes we may recognize this book and the 66 books contained to be scripture, but unless we act upon them, they will merely be a book on our shelf or a book in our um, Bible carrier or something that we're familiar with that we're not doing anything with. We studied the Gospel of James, or not the Gospel, but the Epistle of James recently, and James said, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. So my challenge for you this, this morning, this afternoon, is to not only study the Bible to figure out why we have it and what we have, but read the Bible to apply it in your life. At the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, it'll be the people who have cultivated a relationship and said, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life, not merely the people who knew who Jesus was and what he was all about. So I want to accept and apply this book and this Savior. How about you? Let's pray. Dear Father, we're thankful that you 
have taken the time to reveal so many wonderful things to us in your word. We can have great confidence in the book that has been passed down to us through the ages, these ancient words, uh, ever true, changing me and changing you. Help us to say yes to whatever your word's telling us to today. Uh, Help us to say yes to your Holy Spirit. Listen to what you have to say, recognize it, and then follow it.